0: Now, if you want to turn to Mark chapter 9, where we have the story of the transfiguration, I want you to think of this as you're a witness at a funeral. So you're at a funeral, and you're thinking about people that have died. Well, here are two people that have died. (laughs) So you get to look at two people that have died here. So let's read this. Jesus said to them, And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they saw no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Now when you look at this passage of scripture, of course we focus on Jesus and his transfiguration. What's going on here? A number of things are happening. We're told in other gospel accounts that Elijah and Moses are there encouraging Jesus prior to his passion. But Jesus has told these disciples about the cost of discipleship and about how just they need to take up their cross and follow him. And then the whole idea is, well, what could come of this? And what could come of this is what Jesus has said repeatedly about himself, violent death. Written to the Roman church by Mark after Peter's violent death and Paul's violent death, they're going through persecution, the prospect of violent death, well... The transfiguration here was given to the disciples, and then it was recounted by Mark to the Roman Christians with the understanding that the prospect could be violent death. Well, what about violent death? What if we happen to die that way? Well, look here. Here are two men. They've appeared with Jesus in some level of the kingdom of God coming in power, and they're obviously know one another. It looks like Elijah and Moses are pretty happy with one another there, and they're obviously known to the disciples. The disciples can say, well, that's Moses, that's Elijah, they're recognizable. The idea for, for the disciples and for the Roman Christians basically was, look, You may experience violent death, but there's the other side. There is, that's the emphatic idea, there is the other side. There is the kingdom of God. There is the kingdom of God with power, and this is what the kingdom of God coming in power will look like, and it will look like that for each one of us. ...as we have our faith in Christ Jesus. Sometime out in the future, this world will give way to that world. And that world will displace this world. And this world that we think is so permanent will be no more. And this world that we're a witness to will be all the world that there is. Now, as we think about a Christian funeral, we need to think like that. That's the way we need to think about a Christian funeral. So the disciples witnessed the dead, alive, (laughs) recognizable, able to commune with Jesus. What do we often say? The first person we go to heaven we want to see is who? Jesus. Well, here he is. The these these men get to be with Jesus in the resurrected, somewhat resurrected bodies. Are they in the kind of bodies that we're going to have? Well, I don't know. They were in bodies. Obviously their bodies weren't like the bodies of the disciples. They had something of an otherworldly quality to them. So all of this is there for our witness. Now when we talk about Elements of a good funeral. What are some of the marks of a good funeral? Well, one of the things that we need to talk about in having a good funeral is the person. The person who has passed. So when we come to a funeral, the idea is that's where our concentration should be on that person. Now, let's just assume that right now what we're talking about is what we're going to call a... Christian person. So I'm not going to get into people who are unbelievers. We're talking about a Christian funeral. We're not talking about another kind of funeral. So the car- central character here is the deceased, a believer. He began a life of faith on earth. He has passed from this world. Notice the word passed from this world. He has entered. Entered a unique world that belongs solely to God. You see that here in the Transfiguration. Now, in the case of us, in the case of people that are, we know today that we're bearing, they're separated from their earthly body. Now, we're talking about our Westminster Catechism and how it talks about this that at the time of death, the souls of those who believe are made perfect in righteousness. The souls immediately enter into the presence of the Lord, but their bodies, still being united to Christ, remain in their graves until the time of the resurrection. So the body is separated from the soul, the soul from the body, but the body is still united to Christ. Now, the person who has passed is praying. When we look in the scripture, what do we see saints doing in heaven? Well, one of the things we see them doing is they're praying What do we see that they're doing in heaven? We see they're praising. And this is what this person's doing. So we're saying, well, what's this person that's passed? What's going on with them right now? Well, they're in the presence of Jesus, and they're involved in in prayer and praise and worship. That's what they're doing. More than that, well, we see Moses and uh, Elijah are here on a mission. Would it be... Unnatural to say that others might be involved and on some form of mission. Well, we see something here. But these people who are in heaven are also with others who preceded them. You see that here. Moses is with Elijah. Elijah is with Moses. What did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? Today, you with me in paradise. So you see here that there is some level of the communion of saints. Uh, They wait with anticipation the return of Jesus. So the people we're seeing in the book of Revelation are anticipating Jesus' return. They're anticipating a general resurrection. And these people are anticipating a new life in a world perfected, and to live fully in that world for God's glory and to enjoy all the pleasures of God's presence. That's the sense of what is going on with our loved ones that have gone on before us into heaven. Something like this, and probably a great deal more than this, but this is the stuff that we can pull from the scriptures And we can say, well, we can footnote almost everything that I said there. Now, when we talk about a holy person, you know, all kinds of characters are reflected in what we see in heaven. Just look in the mirror. You'll see one of those characters. (laughs) People just like you. With all the goofiness of uh, ever seen a picture of Oliver Cromwell? Ever seen one? They're initially, the artist that was commissioned paint Oliver Cromwell, so he did, took the portrait of Oliver Cromwell, showed it to him. He says, Get rid of that thing! Now, you know why? You've talked about this repeatedly, and it comes straight from Oliver Cromwell. Oliver Cromwell's face was covered with warts. The artist took them all out as a favor. Oliver Cromwell said, paint me warts and all. See? We've said that. Where did it come from? It came from that interaction with that historical characters in heaven, warts. Yep, that ought to make us feel real good about our own personal prospects, should it not? Holy people, warts and all. So that's what we need to think about. It's a holy place when we think about a funeral. You know, This is a land in which we live that has been sanctified. Now, we tend not to look at it that way. Uh, But this world was created by whom? And John 3.16 says, God so loved the world. He loved this world, and he sent his son into this world. World. And this world has been sanctified by Christ coming into the world. And ultimately, this world will be not only sanctified, but perfected. So when we talk about this, we, we think about the, the person that's died lived where in this world. Now, what we talk about is that this person who has died is in process. We like to talk about that today. We use that, throw that word around. He is in process. He is in progress. Is the person who has died today where he's going to end up? The Christian. No. He is in a place of transition, a temporary place. Uh, he is, we sometimes theologically call it the intermediate state. Between death, burial, and the return and resurrection. There's a movement from this place to that place. To a holy land. A land, well how does it say it? I think I can turn here to. There's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar, for the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there in the, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. All right, there it is a holy place. We're moving from this place to that place. There is a life that was lived here in this place. But that life will ultimately live and be fully lived in a way that we've never lived. I mean, we. some of us think we've had a great life. But this life and that life are not to really be compared. That life is vastly, beyond our comprehension, above and beyond all that we could think or hope or ask, that life. So there's a holy place, the place that we move from to the place we're moving to, and so that's what the saint is doing. The saint is in movement. It's not to nowhere, it's to somewhere. Now heaven like it says on the thief on the cross, then, as Paul says in Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then we'll sit, be with him in glory. In other words, the talking about the place and the land and into talking about this is a part of our own personal eschatology and the eschatology of the world. This isn't it. But there is a place that will be it, a new heaven and a new earth. How did Handel say it? The kingdoms of this world will what? Become the kingdoms of our Lord and of our Christ. And he will reign forever and ever in that place. So we're talking about that. There are holy people involved. Now... Normally at a at a cemetery we do something like this we look at one another you know we try and go over and tap pat console say something to the the loved ones that are there basically the person who's in the casket yeah not really but they're there in in reality what we're told is there's a bunch of them there, all around them. Churches in the past used to bury where? In the churchyard, church and it was a representative representation of the church militant and the church, and they were where together at the church together. Some of them were physically alive and in their pews, and some of them had lived in those pews, but now their bodies rest beside the church, in their graves, but they're represented. And we see that that's how the deceased that have gone on before us are represented. They're represented by their tombs and their bodies resting in the grave. Those who are present are not to be spectators, either at the place if there was a service at a church or a service at a graveside. This is another part of the problem of a mark of a good funeral, is that the holy people that have come are present as worshipers. They're present as believers They're present as witnesses that they truly believe that in Christ Jesus there is the redemption of the body. And they're there, and they're representing that. The worshipers are in the process of rehashing all of God's promises in Christ. The worshipers are there looking in common to a time of future their own departure to go to be with the Father. Remember how Jesus said on that morning, Mary wrapped up on Jesus' legs, and Jesus said to her, Look, I am departing. I am going to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. And so the worshipers at a Christian funeral We're rehashing the promises of Christ. We're looking in common with the person whose funeral we're conducting of our own departure to be with the Father. And we're there living in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're living in faith directly in the face of death. We're there living in faith in spite of we are faced with the reality of the death of Of this person. There's a holy script. This is a fourth point of a good funeral. Christian funeral. There's a holy script. There is the need to keep the primary message in a Christian funeral about the gospel. About God sending his son. About the son living on this earth. About the Son dying on a cross as a substitute, where God took our sins and placed them on Jesus and punished Him in our place. And as a result of that, took all the benefits of Jesus and placed them to our account, to where He received what we deserved and we received what he deserved, and we rehearse that, and we rehearse the resurrection, and we rehearse the, the return of Christ, and we say it's all about Jesus. Yes, the secondary thing is the life of the believer who has passed, and so the question of what we should say about the person should be, be there. Uh, they should know something about us. Sometimes I don't get to all of you all, normal visitation. And a lot of the reasons I don't get to all of you all all the time is because a lot of times I sense that some persons or people over here are nearer and I don't know them well. More than likely, I'm going to be the one called upon to do the service. And I want to know enough about them personally to give an adequate representation of their life personally at the point in time that we have this service. What it should not be, as the author of this book that I found fascinating, he says, you know, I couldn't believe when I read this thing about this guy. He said... I went to Harvard. I went to law school. I can't remember which one of the rock stars he was a tremendous fan of. He likes to hike the Berkshire Mountains. He says he's everywhere when he's not doing his professional life in a Boston Red Sox hat. And it went on. He had about 20 things that he said that were unique about him. He said, Is that what this funeral should be about? He said no. There should be enough information where the people that are there at the funeral recognize it's me who's being buried because that's the reality. It's me who's being buried. But it's not to be moved from being personal to being personalized to where this funeral becomes entirely about the person who has died. It's not to be that. So I thought the man's way of expressing that in this book was very, very helpful. It's about the gospel. It's about Christ. And, yes, it's about the person, the unique person, who is in in some way or fashion represented by his body in, in this situation. It's not a celebration of life. This is a huge thing today. Why a celebration of life? Because it refuses to face the reality that there's been a death. And so what we're going to talk about is all the stuff. And so we'll talk. It's almost like we've still what? Got them. But they're not here. But the challenge today for the Christian funeral is to deal with the reality that the person is not here, but he is with the Lord. And today, people that don't know the Lord are increasingly encroaching their values into the Christian service, so it's a celebration of life. It's a reality, in fact, of a death. It's not a memorial service in which we look back again at the life that is now over as if all the things that were accomplished still are and we're going to remember the things. Now just think of it. You're going to remember all of these things. You know, I've shared with you that when I went to school right from the first grade, the teachers had a problem in every classroom and it was me. (laughs) And From the first grade on, there were comments written on report cards. Easily distracted. (laughs) Not able to stay on task. (laughs) Those were the gracious (laughs) (laughs) remarks. One time my son came home with remarks like that on his report card. It had a thing on there. It had a category that said about conduct, and it had N-I, which stood for needs improvement. It just worried my son terribly. I says, I wouldn't worry about that at all. He says, why? I says, well, mine always had N-S on it. He said, N-S? I said, yeah, needs a spanking. (laughs) Do you think you're going to remember all these people that whose funeral you went to? You're too easily distracted. Today is where you're living. And if you're living as a Christian today in a ministry for Christ, in service to Christ, you've got no business looking to the past and thinking and dwelling on people. It's just not the way it is. So when we try to have a memorial service about the person's life, it's almost a farce because it isn't going to happen. And people spend a lot of time and effort trying to create something that won't happen. There are kind of eight kind of purposes of a good funeral. One is to proclaim the gospel, the story again and again. Here's what it looks like when you go to a cemetery. What does it look like? It looks like death's gained another victim. That's what it looks like. But in reality, God has raised another saint to heaven. Someone's graduated. So we need to proclaim the gospel story over and over again. At at a funeral, there's an offering. And really, this is a, a very important part of what it means to go to a funeral I deal with a lot of people that don't get this when we take an offering at the church the church passes the plate and you what you give the church in another way of talking about an offering calls it a what a collection all right. You give, the church collects. We come to a funeral, we give up the one who has died. A key element of a part of a good funeral is we're giving up this person who has died to God. You know, a lot of us have to do this early. Have you ever had to deal with the person that's just just beyond difficult and there have been a thousand people trying to fix him all through his life and nothing's happening? And finally, somebody who's wiser comes along and says, you know, it would be just better if you just gave this person up to God. Why are they saying that? So that you can go on. You give the person up to God. We help people do that. It's the work of the whole church. Remember what we're told in the scriptures, we weep with those who weep. We are there in Second Corinthians chapter 1 to comfort others in the manner in which we ourselves have been comforted. So we're there to comfort. We're there to do this as we worship with prayer and scripture and praise and remembrance. What's the best way to give this person comfort? One of the best ways is to show up full of faith in all that God has done and move jointly through the service of worship, not as a spectator but as a participant in which the service carries everybody along, everybody along. It's, in a sense, therapeutic. Now, it's not to be a grief counseling service in which we're trying to help the people who are broken to move to wholeness. That's a lot of what's happening today. And it seems like, I think, to the people on our church staff that I've got what they used to call a saw. You know, ever heard about the saws of a pastor? Anybody familiar with the old saws? The old saws, if you look it up, is is just a regular word. It means those things, those things that the pastor can never get off of. He just says it over and over again. As one Presbyterian minister used to do, he would preach every text, and he says, now for a few words about infant baptism. So this pastor's saw was infant baptism. Mine is therapeutic culture. So the people on this staff are constantly, okay, John's going to say it again, the craziness of this therapeutic culture. This man in this book talks about the errors and the falseness and the weakness and the impoverishment of the therapeutic culture in which we live. It's an anti-theological culture in which we live that has replaced therapy for Christianity. But at the funeral service we're not giving grief counseling but we're comforting by the scripture, addressing the sorrows and the realities of death with the hope of the scriptures. The hope of the scriptures are heaven and reunion and resurrection. Heaven, reunion, and resurrection. You see these in this text. Are we done? We're done. It's commemorative. We remember the life like Dorcas' life. We commune together. Most, most of our funerals today, we end up having a meal together in which we do reminisce about the goodness of God and the life of the person who's departed. And it's missional. We take the body on its way, then we go back to our ways of serving Jesus, and we live in the light of the hope of the return of Jesus. And then lastly, it's educational. The church rehearses the Easter message and the victory of the resurrection, and the church warmly ministers to people who have no hope and don't understand that message. That's what we're trying to do. Good book, very readable. If you don't plan it for yourself, they will sing in the garden. Let's pray. Now, Father, bless us and help us in this. We want our funeral to be a witness to what God has done in Christ Jesus and what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. So we thank you for the opportunity to look at these things. In Christ's name, amen.